0: You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Would you mind just closing your eyes and uh, just agreeing with me in prayer? Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you boldly because of what you've done, Jesus. Father, would you show up even to the point where I just disappear out of the way, God? This has to be your words. You have to show up in order for fruit to show through this message. Holy Spirit, would you meet us even in our unbelief? Jesus, would you even meet us in our doubt? Your disciples, after you rose again, even doubted. And we doubt sometimes, God. Would you meet us in the confusion, in the mess of our lives, some that we've created and some that are just part of the curse of the fall, and some are coming from your hand, God, to teach us, to stretch us, so, God, let us not get lost in the content and the information, but let us get caught up in the transformation that you want to do in all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. I really encourage you to continue to participate this, this morning. This, this message is for all of us. And So, sit on the edge of your seat if you need to take notes and receive what God has for all of us. Um, I'm an 80s kid. I was born in 79. And so I grew up in the 80s. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but like, I think it was around 85 or 86, they came out with this really cool invention called the video camcorder. Now, if you remember those really, really, really big, big boom boxes that people would carry, yeah, that was a camcorder. That was a video camcorder. Now, in, in you know, towards the 90s, they started coming down in size. You can tell I'm a fisherman, right? <laughs> coming down in size. And now, well, not now, but still, you know, uh, in, in recent times, now they have just a handheld here, but now everyone just grabs their phone. We don't need video cameras anymore, it's our phone. But I remember uh, my dad getting a camera for Christmas and we were so excited and we did the stupidest videos. I was seven years old, I believe. And uh, I got a hold of some of those VHS tapes. And oh my goodness, if any of you get a hold of those, I will pay a ransom (laughs) because they are so embarrassing. They are so humiliating. (laughs) And yet, and that is not the surprise at volunteer appreciation, by the way. And yet, it caused me to step back and say, oh my goodness, God. This is how you wired me. This is what you were doing at age seven as crazy and embarrassing as it is. I mean, have you ever watched yourself on video? Yeah, it's not fun. But I started to see year after year and moment after moment how God made me. And it all has lined up for me. And that's exactly what we want to accomplish in this series called Line It Up. We're looking at basically three key themes of this entire series. As we line up these Old Testament stories that actually happened and they were inspired by God to write on paper that we have today, these stories line up in a greater big message or picture. And number one, they're God's character. It's God's character revealed In every story, we see the thread of God's character, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, his forgiveness, his patience, his steadfastness, his goodness. We also see God's redemptive plan for us all throughout Scripture, even before the name Yeshua was mentioned in the Gospels. And we're going to do an Advent series based on how Jesus fulfilled everything in this line it up series. God's redemptive plan for us. He has a plan. He has hope for us. And number three is God's desire to be with us in relationship. So let's line it up real quick like we're going to do every week. So the first week we see, so we, we should have a pipeline picture. Yes. The first week we see creation. Everything is about God. God is the creator and Lord of everything. We have been made to reflect his image in our lives and to be in relationship and walk with him. That includes unconditional love for us from the father. You cannot have unconditional love without free will to choose that love. And in that free will, God gave the risk into the hands of humankind, knowing that they would believe a lie and fall away from trusting and believing in the one true God. Instead, worshiping other gods and putting themselves and the things of this world on the throne of their lives. And we see time and time again that it just doesn't work. But here's God's character Number one, he kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden of perfection because sin cannot dwell in the presence of holiness. But here's God's character again merciful and gracious. He still kills a lamb. Say, a lamb. That's going to be a theme for today. A lamb. He kills a lamb. The first death in all creation, the very first thing that has to die is an animal, a lamb. What did he kill it for? To clothe their shame and guilt. Genesis 3 and 4, 5 and 6 are pointing to Jesus Christ already. Nevertheless, sin became the cancer in the human heart. Over time, Genesis 6 says the world became filled with violence. We see that in in Noah. Genesis 6 through 10, God restarts the world with Noah and his family, but that doesn't take care of the sin problem. Then we get to Genesis uh, 11, where the Tower of Babel happens. Remember that? Where people, again, are trying to be God. They think they're gods, and they build this tower to reach the heavens, to experience worship of who? Themselves. And God says, not gonna do it, right? He says, no, ain't no way that's gonna happen. He destroys their movement of building this tower and he disperses people. But he had a plan and a promise. And we see that then in week three. God's promise to fulfill to Abraham, blesses him. And through Abraham's family bloodline, that he is going to bring out his plan for all humanity. And we know that that plan through the bloodline of Abraham was Jesus. We also see in this, this covenant with Abraham, we see how God tests Abraham. How he cultivates and stretches Abraham's faith. God is always constantly inviting Abraham, Abraham, and Sarah to abiding and trusting in his sovereign plan. Abraham makes a lot of mistakes. We see it. If you've read the stories or know anything about it, you know he's a flawed man. He's in his late 90s and he's waiting for God's promise of a son to be fulfilled through him and his very old wife as well. They're impatient. They try to get in front of God and help God out. We know what that turned out to be. Abraham makes a lot of mistakes, but God stays faithful and always fulfills his promise. And so Abraham leads a movement of people trusting God. But what happens again? It goes south again and again and again and again and again. And you would think by 2022, we would have it figured out. But it is the sin condition, which is our sin nature, that always has us running to God Devoted to God, worshiping God, passionate about the things of God, and then all of a sudden disconnecting from God, compromising our faith, pursuing things of this world. And by the time we know it, we're like the prodigal son, eating the slop of the pigs, filthy, no place to go, at the bottom of the barrel. And that's where God's grace and mercy comes running restores us reconciles us saves us but if we're not careful we will follow that cycle that we see in the old testament time and time and time again and so we see abraham's descendants now rejecting god for the most part distant disconnected dissatisfied and what happens they become slaves in egypt Slaves. So you have Abraham, the father of many nations. You have his son, Isaac. And Isaac has a son, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob has 12 sons, the tribes of Israel. And Joseph, the youngest or second youngest, is a favorite of Jacob. And Joseph has dreams and he has these visions. And fast forward, he ends up interpreting the dreams of pharaoh well how did he get to egypt well his brothers hated him because of his dreams and favor and so what does joseph do he ends up in what slavery in egypt god's promises to abraham fulfilled again brings him out of slavery into the second seat of command under pharaoh and after joseph dies and after pharaoh dies you have all the israelites living in egypt and they start abandoning the ways of God. And we're going to see that today. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus 1. If you don't have a Bible, some there are some in the rows, in the seat um, flap in front of you. But we also have Bibles um, in the back of the Welcome Center. And one of our uh, faithful servants, uh, Zeke Baker, will have some Bibles. And just raise your hand if you need a Bible. But we're going to stay in exodus for a while we're gonna you know rabbit trail a little bit but exodus one as you're turning to exodus one on your phone or in the hard copy of the bible i want to give you three the three key themes or principles we're going to look at through this story in exodus number one is the people of israel their condition their heart condition Number two, we're going to look at God's mercy and rescue mission to deliver his people. And then third, we're going to see the hand of God's deliverance through the people's response to God. So we're going to see their condition. We're going to see God's plan. And then we're going to see people's response to God. And then friends... We're going to bring it real close to home. We have a decision to make today. So Exodus 1, this is the first scene that we see. Israel's condition is they are in the bondage of slavery. They have no rights, the people of God. They have the promise of God, and yet they are in chains. I would love to read Exodus chapter 1 Verse 8 through 14. Just to give us a little background of what's happening here. Verse 8. I'm getting there. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt. This is after Joseph was the assistant to this one Pharaoh who had gave favor to the Israelites because of Joseph. But now he died, and a new king over Egypt Who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, all the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. They're a threat. When God moves, we are always a threat to the enemy. When God shows up, we are always, it is always a threat to the enemy. And he said to his people, Behold, the people, um, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So they're in fear of themselves and fear and in danger of these Israelites who trust in the Lord. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities. Um, but the more they were oppressed, here's God, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So what do they do? So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and more, uh, excuse me, mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field in all their work. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, here's where crosses the line and where Pharaoh claims to now be God. Said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Shifra, and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded. But they let many of the male children live. And that's where we get the faithfulness of the woman who birthed the son named Moses. Put him in a basket. then we know the story of a woman in Pharaoh's company, right? Raised Moses, but also partnered with Moses' his mother to breastfeed him. And can you imagine what the Hebrew mother of Moses spoke over Moses as a baby to where when Moses got older, he did not turn from the ways of God. Mom and dad, Your words over your kids from the very moment they're born even into your womb have power. Your words matter. That's not the message. So Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel, they're slaves. They drifted so far from God, they forgot God. They began forgetting God. And Exodus mentions that the Israelites begin to be idol worshipers in Egypt again. And we see this repeating throughout all of Scripture, like I said. So now let's turn to chapter 6. Chapter 6 in Exodus. Verses 3 through 8. God is speaking to Moses. He says, I am Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob As God Almighty, by the name of the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of these slaves, my people in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Outstretched arm is powerful. It's like wielding a weapon of war. He is declaring war on the Egyptians, but even more over the demonic powers that rule. That is the God that we serve. I will bring you from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem, say redeem, redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you, take you, I will take you, I will bring you back to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore, promised, to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession, for I am Lord. Now, for those of you who have your Bibles out, the following verse says so much. Can you imagine being Israelites, captive in bondage, literally being tormented and worked beyond what you can even handle? People are dying in the fields and everywhere, either being whipped and punished or being overworked. And you are crying out. And all of a sudden, God's servant Moses comes and says, God promised to deliver you. He's promised to come and take you back. Can you imagine how excited you would be? Can you imagine how you're ready to storm the gates of hell because God said he is about to move? Someone who has verse, is it eight or nine? Verse nine, would you read that aloud? Kevin, you have a mic. Could you read verse 9? Do you have it? Exodus 6, verse 9.
1: Moses reported to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor.
0: They didn't believe him. They were covered with a spiritual veil of unbelief. Mark this or thumb in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. It says, from the moment of Moses and the people who were held in unbelief had a veil over their eyes to where they could not see the things of God. And it says, to this very day, the people chosen by God, still have a veil over their eyes, including us, if we do not receive the sacrifice of Jesus through faith. And the only one that can remove that veil of unbelief is the Holy Spirit, not man. So God's promise never changes, even in our unbelief. His promises aren't based on us. His promises are based on his faithfulness. I will fulfill my covenant. I will redeem you from slavery. I will keep my promises I swore to your forefathers. I will judge Pharaoh with great acts of judgment. I will give you the land promised to Abraham. You have forgotten me, but I will never forget you. Guys... That is a picture that is often not painted in church by other Christians. But this is our God. He always comes through because he's faithful. But when we have the mindset of a slave, we are enchained to unbelief. And as we go forward in this story, keep that in mind. That until the chains are defeated and broken, people cannot be released into freedom. The enemy has to be dealt with before the chains can be broken and released into freedom. Keep that in mind as we go forward. So second... The second theme that we see is the Lord rescues because he's faithful to his promises. Now, we're going to see this all through Exodus chapters 8 and 12. So you can follow with me. I'm going to kind of just touch on a few of these stories. But God says, I will deliver you from slavery, and I'm going to redeem you by who? By my power. By my righteous hand. What is he saying to Pharaoh? Okay, you're doing all of these things by your power. Just watch my power. Yeah, and that's what God does time and time and time again, all throughout Scripture and even in the day we are living. God will not be mocked. Can I say that again? God, Jehovah God, will not be mocked every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He has the last say, and he's won the battle, and he wants to set us free. God wants to redeem his Hebrew people what does that Christian word redeem mean? We hardly ever use that in our language, redeem. It simply means this, to buy back something that which was lost. To buy back, say buy back, something that was lost. Yeah. So God is buying back his people who were lost and are in slavery. God is about to dish out payment to purchase his people back. This is a theme that goes throughout all scripture. And all throughout the Bible, listen, God is in the business of redeeming. What does that look like? He takes the broken pieces in our lives. He takes sinful people and he purchases them with his own blood rescuing them and taking us back to be his. God's promises are for our good. He promises to rescue and deliver us. But first, he must deal with the enemy. And we see here in Exodus, him dealing with the horrible acts of Pharaoh, who has exalted himself as God. And he deals with them. And in this, in this is a key principle. It's not on the screen. Know this. There is no redemption. There is no freedom. There is no restored relationship with God. No promised land of blessings until the enemy is crushed and dealt with. So God deals with Pharaoh, and let's even look in these chapters. We see the 10 plagues. Many of you are familiar with them. If you're not familiar with them, I really encourage you to read Exodus chapters 8 through 12. It is jam-packed with some interesting stuff, but to sum it all up, I want to read Psalm 78. It will be on the screen, so if you're in Exodus, you don't necessarily have to turn there. Psalm 78, starting with verse 43 and 54. So if you're turning there or getting there on your phone, verses 43 through 54, Psalm 78, listen to this and ask yourselves, what is God doing and why is he doing it? Here it is. When he performed his signs in Egypt... And his marvels in the fields of Zone. He turned the rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. Friends, this is what wicked wizards and magicians would do. God is saying, look, I'm doing it. You don't have that kind of power to do what I do. So they didn't believe. Then he sent swarms of flies, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locusts and fruit of their labor to the locusts. He destroyed their vines. This is God, all power with hail, and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to to the hail and their flocks to the thunderbolts. He let loose on them. He let loose. He is having war and vengeance upon evil. Excuse me. He let loose on them with his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. Do you get it here that God doesn't like sin? Okay, just making sure that's clear. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave them, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt. What did Pharaoh do? What was one of his ploys to get rid of the Egyptians, to kill the firstborn men, male? What is God doing here? He's saying, I'm God. You're not. Whew. He led them and say, uh, excuse me, Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain with his right hand. God is God. He will not be mocked. And he will bring justice and judgment to every sinful so number three this is really important and this gets this is where it gets really exciting for me because i love this story we see one of the most powerful stories that illustrates god's character his redemption and his heart to restore relationship with his people and that is known as passover can you say it passover passover yeah we're gonna dwell there for a little bit passover it's the same Passover that you see on your calendars at home, and it has been observed by people of God, mainly Jews, since then, every year since then. This is one of the biggest prophecies and illustrations that point to Jesus and the sacrifice that God promises to once and for all deal with the sin of humankind. And so, what I'd like for you guys to do, and I'm gonna ask Kevin to facilitate on the microphone. And you guys follow him, but I want you to speak as one voice as we illustrate what is going on here. So, can we read to- together? It's going to be Exodus 12. Sit there. Thank you so much, tech team. All right. Um, Yes, that is correct. I'm just making sure it's the right one. Okay, are you ready, Kevin? Here we go.
1: For For I I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will throw the the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you. On the houses where you are, and, and when, when I, I see, see the, the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt.
0: Next slide. Then Moses
1: All, all the elders of Israel said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood that is in the basin and touch the nail and at the door toast that the blood is on the basin. None of you shall go out the door of his house until the morning. Next slide. And, and when, when your children, children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the house of the, of the people of, of Israel, Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. God came through on his promise.
0: There's three words I want to give you. That we're going to visit at the end receive say receive Receive. okay now say rejoice Rejoice. and now say release these three r's are so important in how god's people are to respond number one they are to receive god's promise for themselves this is called faith. Things you can't see, but yet you believe them to be true. You must receive, Israel, you must receive what I am going to do. You must receive by obeying and putting the blood on the doorframe. And then that lamb which you sacrificed will you roast and you will consume every part of it. They're receiving the promises of God through their faith. And as hard as it is in their situation and not trusting fully that God's going to come through, but they have no other place to go but God. And they rejoice over the meal. They rejoice over God's promises to deliver. And God does deliver and releases them from the bondage of slavery and sets them free to be released into freedom. Receive, rejoice, and release. You can't get those out of order. You have to receive. Then you rejoice in what you received, and then you release it. You put it to work. What am I saying here? Put yourself as mom and dad in your home. And if God doesn't come through, you're not going to last in this kind of condition of slavery. And you focus on God's promises to Abraham time and time again. You heard them as a kid, but you just haven't seen them come to pass. And you're doing what you know you're supposed to do because you're being obedient to God, but you're laying there looking at your kids sleeping in the same room, knowing that if God doesn't show up, the angel of death is going to take away their firstborn. Can you imagine? And then when you open your eyes, you hear screams throughout all of Egypt but the screams aren't coming from your home. Those who applied, those who released the blood through obedience were delivered and saved. Those including Pharaoh could have obeyed God and put a blood of a spotless lamb over his palace and save his firstborn son. The legacy of all of Egypt gone because of disobedience and not accepting the free gift that God had for them. The story is so powerful. We see people of God in slavery, no hope, no power, no future. And yet God's promises, they trust him. They struggle with belief, but they trust him to the very end. And then the response determined the outcome. God provided the lamb. God made a way. He passed over, but they had to do something to put their faith where their mouth is. And so, friends, we get to us today. We still have the same sin problem We still have the same cycle that we see in all of Israel. But we need to understand something, friends. We have a condition as humans, and that condition is we are slaves to sin. What that means is you are bound and chained to sin, and nothing that you can do or anyone else can do can break you from those chains. You are bound, you are mastered by sin. We're called. It's called sin nature. All through the New Testament, we see that the sin nature is hostile to God. We reject God, we put ourselves on the throne. We don't wanna worship God, we wanna worship ourselves. We don't want God's plans, we want our plans. We find ourselves in this season all over the place. Romans 6 tells us that we are slaves to sin. And when you are slaves to sin, there is only one result, and that is death. You can't get out of it. You think you do good works? Jesus even said there is no one good. No one good. Why? Sin nature. You think you did something to earn God's favor? No, that's called grace. Romans chapter 6. Stay with me. Romans chapter 6. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living. Righteousness just means right standing with God. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now, say but now. But now. You wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Look, Take out the culture word slave and what it means to you. But what you obey and what you follow and what you pursue, friends, will master you. Will be your Lord. Don't like the results you're getting? Change your Lord. There's only one true one. We're slaves to sin. We have to acknowledge that. There's no way out of it but the promise of God. Let's look. Christ is our ultimate redeemer to buy us back. Look at this in Romans 3, verse 23 through 25. Stay with me because this, is, this packs a punch here. For all have sinned, all have sinned. You know, the Greek and the Hebrew word definition for all is all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. What's grace? Undeserved favor as a gift. Through the redemption, purchasing us, that gift that is free to us costs Jesus his life. whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation literally means the judgment has been paid by his blood to be received. Say received. There's that word. Say received. Received Received. by faith. So you're saying that Jesus paid the blood, but there's something we need to do. Yeah, that is what I'm saying, but not works receive. Christmas is, what, a couple months away, y'all. How crazy would it be if the gifts that were given to you, paid by somebody, stayed under the tree, wrapped, and you never opened them? Who's the fool now? Right? It's a gift, but it has to be opened. Moving on. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over our sin. He passed over our former sins. Friends, when was Jesus crucified? On Passover. Take that in. You think god didn't have a plan from the beginning his promise to the israelites to deliver them if they applied the blood on the doorway of their home is pointing to jesus christ who died and took his last breath of passover so god would pass over the sins of people his blood was shed for you but you have to receive it y'all Do you remember the point I made that before redemption and freedom can happen, the enemy must be dealt with? The serpent's head was crushed when Jesus was nailed to the tree. Death was defeated. Sin was broken. The grave empty because Jesus dealt with the enemy once and for all. Colossians up there and you who were dead because of your sin if you are living in sin you are dead and because of your sinful nature was not cut away yet then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, he dealt with it. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them. This is called my friends, atonement, atonement. Can you say atonement? It simply means removing the barrier from reconciliation with God. There is a barrier and it's called sin. And it's all about Christ removing that barrier so we could be reconciled with God. But there's a part we have to play. We have to draw near to God. We have to receive his gift. And we have to die to our sinful self. Look at this definition of atonement. With his sacrifice, starts with his sacrifice. Is it up there? With his sacrifice... Christ paid the penalty of man's sin, bringing forgiveness, giving us righteousness, and reconciling man to God. That's what he did on the cross. Those who hold this view believe that every aspect of man, his mind, will, and emotions have been corrupted by sin and that man is totally depraved and spiritually dead. This view holds that Christ's death paid the penalty for our sin, and that through faith, every person can accept Christ's substitution and payment for sin. That is worth applauding and cheering for when we hear about the goodness of God. Yeah, come on, come on. Yes, yes, yes. So, what is our response to Christ's atonement? What is our response? This is, if you leave with one thing. The atonement, the barrier removed so you can be reconciled with God has been paid on the cross that Jesus died. Done. Salvation is spelled D O N E, not do. You can't do anything. It's done, it's paid for. But you have to apply it. Can you imagine? If the Israelites said, oh, that's great. God's going to deliver us. But you know what? I I really don't want to sacrifice this lamb. I really don't want to go through the work. I'm sure he'll still have grace and mercy. You have to apply it. Anybody who didn't apply the blood, the angel of death came and took the firstborn. God supplied the victory. People had to apply it. To their lives. How many have grown up in church, heard the gospel message, said the sinner's prayer? How many of you have even witnessed to people about what Jesus did on the cross, and yet you don't believe it? How many of you who say you believe it but never received it? You have to receive the free gift. And when you receive it, it changes your life. And here's the secret. In order to gain the life of Christ and to apply it to your life, you must die. You must die to your sin nature so that Christ and his payment can cover you. But you have to apply it. Look at this gospel song. If you haven't heard it, it's new. It's by Charity Gale. It is amazing. She sang the song, I Speak Jesus. This song is so powerful. Look at this. I was a wretch. You. You. You, I remember who I was. I was in slavery. I was lost. I was running out. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated me. The breach was too far. That's the barrier between us and God. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way. Across the great divide, you left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. Applied. It's got to be applied. You can believe it. You can go to church. You can even lead Sunday school. You can pray your prayers, but if you don't allow him inside, you are still in your sin nature and not saved. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed. You broke my chains. You freed. You freed my soul. And for the first time, I had hope. Anyone been there? Yes. Next slide. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus. It has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus. You have saved my life. You've brought me from darkness into glorious light. Friends, when you receive God's transforming grace, the Bible says you've been crucified with Christ. No longer you that lives, but Christ lives within you. The Bible says you are a new creation, literally a supernatural spiritual miracle happens in you your dead nature is broken and covered by the blood of jesus and you are alive in christ but you have to continue to apply that blood because what happens we fall all the time we still live in a sin fleshly body that pursues death of this world we have to continue to apply so you've messed up so you've made mistakes find yourself right back at the cross For if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all of your sins. The atonement has to be applied. You have to receive it. And when your life is changed, I promise you, you will begin to worship. How many people who either have cancer or an illness or anything like that, and they are cured from it, they have a new look on life. They dance and they speak and they move very differently because they've been set free. It's the same of someone who has applied the blood of Jesus and set free from sin's demands. You rejoice because your name is written in the book of life because of what he did. But you have a choice whether receive it, Or let it pass by. All sin will be accounted for at the end. Will you stand in the presence of God and give account for your sin only by the blood of Jesus? Or will you stutter and be in lost of words in front of God that you never knew and you listed all the good things you did? And he says, I don't know you. I don't know you. Be gone from me. Well, that sounds harsh. You know, what's harsh is Jesus gave his life and shed his blood for us so that we wouldn't have to face death and separation. That's harsh. And that is unconditional, sacrificial love.